Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. We have become a leading voice in the industry and represent more than 16,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you'll visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hello, and welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and I'm here today with Terry Rhodes, DMEC's CEO, for the first in a series of podcasts about her annual trends articles, which are published on the DMEC website and open to the public. The first article in the series focuses on COVID-19 and the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA. We're thrilled to have the following guests join us for this discussion to shed some light on the people behind the processes for ensuring compliance with ADA accommodations for COVID-19, its variants, and long COVID. Brian Bass is the Senior Vice President of Workforce Absence for Sedgwick and a member of the DMEC Executive Advisory Board. And Deshauna Manley is the National Benefits Director for PricewaterhouseCoopers and a member of the DMEC Employer Advisory Council. We'll ask everyone to give brief introductions before we dig into this topic. Terry, would you kick us off? Yes, thank you, Heather. And uh, thank you, Brian and Deshana, for joining us today for this first podcast. So I have been in absence management my entire career. Of course, I haven't been at one place, but I um, have been doing absence management for three decades. Uh, dating myself a little bit there, but Deshauna, do you want to give us a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. Thank you, Terry. I have been in the industry for 10 years. Um, I have experience working on the carrier consultant and employer sides from case management to consulting, um, subject matter expertise, and to end-to-end program oversight. And I am happy to be here and participate in the discussion. Brian, would you like to give us a brief introduction? Sure, thanks, Terry. Um, like yourself, I'm gonna date myself as well. I've been in the uh, absence management industry my entire career, and I am approaching my third decade. Uh, I have had a variety of roles um, from an absence management perspective. Uh, worked uh, at two employers where I had oversight responsibilities for disability and absence management uh, on the employer side uh, in benefits and in HR functions. And I've been in the third party administration world for the majority of my career where I've had responsibilities ranging from uh, overall product development and governance to client services, uh, to some operational aspects. So you name it, um, I've been involved in it at one form or another. Currently my role is focused on uh, product support and development and overall compliance within Sedgwick. 
Wonderful. We're in good company here. Um, Terry, you use the phrase whack-a-mole in your trends overview article in reference to the competing priorities that absence and disability managers face today. Would you elaborate a little bit on that to set the stage for our discussion? Sure. Thank you, Heather. I was I was joking a bit, but then as I said it and was writing, I was like, no, no, it has been like whack-a-mole in the last couple of years. You know, prior to COVID, uh, absence management professionals were, you know, already uh, dealing with full trying to address paid sick leave mandates across the country, and then the paid family and medical leave mandates that um, were being initiated in several states. And so just trying to keep up with all of those individual requirements was a lot. And then when COVID hit, you know, we had one wave after another, not just of COVID, but different things that were happening within the workforce. You know, we had um, people who had been working in an office have to go home and work from home with their families, you know, including children and husbands and wives and grandparents. And then we had um, the mental health crisis that we were trying to address. Um, and then we had the back to work issues. And the next item, I think, was the vaccine mandates and trying to figure out, you know, what was happening in terms of accommodations, either religious or medical uh, for vaccines. Then that all kind of went away. And now we're dealing with long COVID. So it is like a whack-a-mole. What, what issue do I need to address today? And thinking about that, I really had a lot of concern about everyone working in the trenches. And, you know, I wanted to just talk about like, what does this really mean? How does this really impact the absence and disability management professional? So I'd like to just get real honest here and real about how do we do this very difficult work? So Deshana, the, the landscape of the absence and disability management professional has changed. Just the landscape of absence and disability has changed, uh, particularly in the last few years. But I find myself wondering, how do professionals keep their heads above the water with such an overwhelming workload? So can you tell me, how do you do it? So I'm going to go with the first word that comes to my mind, and that is agility. Um, remaining agile, always looking for new ways of doing old things and opportunities to create new things. Um, I'm not married to any one way of doing it, things in general. <laughs> and if COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us that there are always other ways to do things. We are performing tasks in new ways and in new environments, as you spoke of, and finding the ability to make accommodations that were once considered impossible. So I've found this time to be exciting. Um, yes, a bit overwhelming, but it's opened so many people up to just the possibility of doing things differently. So for someone like me, it's, it's been a very fulfilling time to be in. I, I hear what you're saying and it really resonates, um, you know, the, the agility and then resilience, obviously. 
So Brian, I, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this issue um, from an industry-wide perspective. I mean, Sedgwick is a large third-party administrator. Your company manages absence and disability and workers' compensation for many organizations. So you have a very wide lens into this. What are you seeing in terms of how absence management professionals are keeping their heads above the water? Well, I mean, it's it's really been a, a significantly challenging time for everyone. Um, and, you know, especially in our industry, whether you're on the TPA side or, or like Bishan said, on the on the employer side and managing through um, all of the nuances associated with COVID-19 and what it's presented, it's really been daunting. Um, I, I just to give you some perspective, uh, at Sedgwick, we processed in, in the 26 months since the, the pandemic uh, started, we've processed uh, nearly three and a half million claims related to COVID. That's a significant number of claims. And so as you can imagine, we had to rethink um, how we approached what we were doing for our clients and how we were approaching managing claims from a COVID perspective overall. And so we took um, a, a, a look at things from the lens uh, and from some of the practices that have been employed in our industry for quite some time. And one of those is around expedited claims processing. So many of you in the industry listening to this podcast will probably uh, know the term fast track, where you actually move cases through the, the system or uh, that have predictable outcomes like appendectomies or normal pregnancies and things of that nature. And you really don't necessarily require objective medical information uh, for that in order to approve it for the specified duration, as long as it's within the duration guidelines based on the whatever medical duration criterion you're using. And in those situations, you're just essentially moving those through the process. We took a step back and asked ourselves, could we do something similar with what we were seeing with COVID? And the answer to us became very clear that yes, we could and we should do that. One, because the volumes were just out of control. But secondarily, as, as you mentioned, Terry, there are a number of things that were happening at the federal and the state and municipal level related to protections around COVID-19. So we saw things passed at the federal level that provided paid leave um, for individuals uh, due to the public emergency. We saw that at the state level, we, uh, extended in the statutory benefits that many of the states are, we're already providing. That also extended to the ever-increasing number of paid sick leaves that are available to employees across the nation. And then at the municipal levels, we saw new mandates that became new part new parts of law in terms of providing um, not only protections for individuals that have COVID-19 or are experiencing um, some need for absence due to a public health emergency, but also to provide some level of pay. So looking at it from that perspective, we had to open that lens up and say, well, what's the right thing to do in this particular situation? And so we put together these expedited processes that we shared with our clients. And of course, we didn't just, we can't just implement them and say, hey, client, you're going to do this the way that Sedgwick says you're going to do that. We need to partner and collaborate and ensure that we're all on the same page with respect to that. So I bring that up as an example because we had to be innovative in how we approached it. Um, if we weren't innovative, I'm not sure how we would have got through processing three and a half million 
claims in a 26 month period. I mean, when you look at that same period of time, we had 10 million claims overall within the Cedric organization. When you look at the workers' compensation and the um, and the, the the workforce absence, the disability and leave claims, and so you know, over a third of those were related to COVID during that period. That's just significant um, and, and 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 astounding at the same time. The other challenge that we had was keeping up with what was going on in the compliance space, right? And as I just mentioned, you know, just a handful of the different things that were introduced um, at a legislative level that provided protections or pay and, and other benefits to employees who were impacted by COVID-19, keeping up with that was difficult. And so at Sedgwick, you know, we're blessed, if you will, to have a compliance or uh, group that is able to focus on that. But even with our nimble compliance team, we certainly could not keep up with everything. So we had to rely on information that was out there at the CDC and the EEOC and DMEC and all these other organizations that were providing information in addition to uh, that provided by um, our external counsel. So all that said, I don't know that there's any secret sauce associated with how to handle these types of situations. I think that, you know, I, I'm grateful that we have practices and we're nimble and we were able to leverage the learnings and, you know, the collective experience that we've had in the industry. It wasn't just my ideas. It was a collective of, um, you know, individuals within Sedgwick, people within DMEC. We've had many opportunities to have conversations with the executive advisory board members, the employer advisory council, the different conferences that you continued to put on, you know, through this, even though they were virtual and we couldn't be in person. The amount of information that was provided, I think, was helpful and that really, if there were a secret sauce, I'd say that is the secret sauce, is the amount of information and education that was being provided to end of the professionals during this time. And um, I think that it's something that we can leverage going forward as well. Well, I'm I'm still like in shock with the numbers. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around that. You know, when we look back on this, it's it's going to be, it, you know, it's going to be an interesting um, stamp in time. And DMEC is celebrating its 30th year anniversary this year. We're very excited about that. And, and I'm amazed at the evolution of the absence management professional and the roles. And I sometimes wonder, are, are, are we being asked to do too much? Um, do we have the resources and support to be successful? I mean, it, do we get what we need to be successful in our jobs? And I'd like to hear from you, Deshauna, uh, and get your thoughts on this about how PwC or PricewaterhouseCoopers, I guess I should say that for people who don't know who PwC is, ensures that the team members have what they need for success. So <laughs> that's, that's, that is probably a variation of answers, but I will say PwC uh, invests a lot in technology and digital upskilling. Um, really looking to provide a means of doing things more efficiently with the least amount of waste. Um, I know, you know, we engage quite frequently in DMEC courses just to stay abreast um, as much as possible with what's going on. Um, we sit on calls with the different states to hear what they're thinking and 
how they're thinking. Um, and then we have a number of internal tools to kind of keep us educated, also to provide technology um, as a means of doing things more quickly because of volume. We didn't have a significant number of COVID-related absences just because of the industry in which we work and how we work. Um, but one challenge that we have encountered is with COVID and with all of the changes, sometimes the systems are not as agile as we are. So trying to keep up with having to manually manipulate things that were once automated um, has been rather daunting. But as a team, we've been encouraged to kind of get to know each other um, in terms of our strengths and our weaknesses and how to leverage one another's strengths. Because what may take me two hours to accomplish may take someone else on my team 10 minutes. Um, and so just being able to tap into those strengths is so important. We have expanded our team in the last two years. So that's been a help as well. Um, not a dramatic expansion, but an expansion nevertheless. That's that's great to hear that. I'm sure it provides some relief in terms of how to manage um, all of the you know, requests that are brought before you. Um, and, you know, today we're just talking about ADA in general and COVID, but there's lots of other absence requests that, um, you know, you're obviously dealing with on a daily basis. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the results that we uh, saw from our 2021 employer leave management survey. And it shows that employers have kept up with the dizzying pace of ADA accommodations related to COVID-19. And I guess I'd like to find out from you uh, both, and Deshaun, I'll push this to you first, and then we'll hear from Brian, but does this resonate with you and your firsthand experience? It does. Um, I do agree with the sentiment that employers have managed to keep up in varying ways. I feel like as employers, we've become creative. We've found all types of ways to support employees um, while keeping businesses going. Um, I've seen, you know, expansions of bereavement and what that means in light of COVID, you know, the awareness being placed on people losing people that are close to them. And it may not be your normal mother, father, child um, scope, but companies coming up with creative ways to address those needs. Um, from an accommodations perspective, you know, in our line of business, travel was important. You, you were a consultant, you were expected to travel, and now finding ways to consult without traveling. What does that mean for accommodations? And, and if we're able to accommodate years of consulting without travel, can we accommodate months when needed? Um, and then just the work from home boom and at that as an accommodation, it used to be, you know, you had limited individuals working from home and then it went to everyone working from home. And then do you go back to the office or do you stay home? And what happens if someone requests an accommodation to stay home and you wanted them to go back to the office? So I think, you know, people have just been coming up with ways to make it work. And I do agree that somehow many of us have kept up with the pace. Um, I think 
leveraging our partners. So whether it be a carrier or a TPA or a broker group, um, I think it's kind of taken an army um, to get through it, but we have. <laughs> Forget about the village. We need an army, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Brian, would you like to weigh in on this? Yeah, I, I absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I also agree with the Sean's sentiments. I think that our experience is that with our uh, employer clients is that they have remarkably been able to keep up with uh, the, 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 the pace of cases that were coming through. And I would say, you know, similar to what I talked about earlier with expedited claims processing, you know, we really did need to look at the accommodation requests as it related to COVID-19 a little bit of a different way. Um, and just to give you another number, this may not be as dizzying as the three and a half million, or excuse me, three and a half million uh, disability or leave of absence and workers' comp claims, but we had 65,000 ADA cases that came through in that 26-month period as well. And as you can imagine, the majority of the accommodations really were um, were for individuals that were high risk, um, according to the CDC, could not be in a work environment. So we saw a lot of requests come in from our retail clients, health services, where there needed to be a presence uh, at, of the employee in their job in order to be effective. So there was very little Type, uh, accommodation that could be provided for those individuals, um, considering at, early on, there were a lot of environmental considerations that needed to be considered, like what are you doing with filtration and airflow and all of these other things. It just became very difficult. But all that said, I think that we've pivoted and some of the, some of the things that Deshaun brought up around, well, if we could consult in her example, in her line of business, if we can consult for two years, is it reasonable for us to provide that same opportunity to an individual if they need it for a few months? Not saying necessarily that's going to be long term. And I think it's important to recognize too that there's a lot of fear out there now because uh, in the in the eyes of the courts and some of the circuits across the country, um, the work from home uh, accommodation is one of those things that has has been very controversial. And whether or not that's actually something that someone can do, and then whether you need to do as an employer to prove it, and things of that nature. Um, I think that's going to still have an increased focus and there likely will be some scrutiny that's going to be placed upon it. But I will also say that the EEOC, from an overall agency perspective, have highlighted that just because work from home was possible or was possible because of the pandemic, it was possible because no one could go into the office and you had to figure out how to do work, work differently. So there's probably something to be said that it probably couldn't be a permanent long-term type of a thing. And so you still need to look at it from the same lens and the same perspective. But it's going to be interesting to me as, you know, someone who's very um, involved in compliance and, and reading the case law and seeing what's happening at the circuit perspective and how law is going to evolve around this particular area and what we've had to do to make accommodations for not being in the work environment or doing things differently. And if the law will also evolve um, with a, a new modern approach and how we do things. And we've seen the law change over over the deck over many decades as we have evolved and it's easier instead of you know to get from one place to another like these different types of things that you'll see in old case law that as modern conveniences have become more of a reality or things have changed in terms of how we do work like we have the ability to do virtual 
uh, video conferencing and things of that nature. Um, those are all things that I think are going to take a different uh, perspective in the eyes of a court and a judge who's making an interpretation of whether or not an accommodation is reasonable. And so my advice out there is as professionals, we need to be mindful of that. And as we should always be doing, we should be looking for accommodations that we can make for an individual because really the reason we're in this profession is to provide opportunities for indiv individuals who are disabled either on a short-term basis or on a more long-term basis to find an ability to continue to do their job and to be an active member of society. So we should always be looking for opportunities for accommodation that are reasonable and that can be done in an effective manner, regardless of what they look like. Well, you've both given me lots of food for thought, and I hope our audience has also um, gotten a few tips about how they might, you know, manage absence, particularly ADA and the long COVID in their workplaces. But I'd, I'd like just to ask one final question in closing. What advice or guidance can you provide to the absence and disability professional who are struggling to keep up with the ongoing changes that, you know, we continue to see in our industry? Because it's not, it's not going to get any, we're not going to see a decrease, I don't think, uh, particularly if something happens on the federal, you know, paid family and leave up front. Um, and we just don't seem to have really any reprieve from the onslaught of disruption. So, Brian, what advice, what best advice can you give? The best advice that I can give is find a support of, of people that are in the industry. Um, there are so many of us out there, whether we're on the TPA side and the insured side, the employer side, who have a lot of ideas and have tried different things and some things have worked and some things have not worked. And I think organizations like DMEC um, are there to help us. There's, you know, th there's a lot of things that DMEC is doing to help um, from a community's perspective to keep us all engaged. And I think you guys actually call one of your new things DMEC communities, and maybe you'll talk about that a little bit as we close, Terry. But I think that keeping apprised and uh, up to date with the information that's out there. You guys provide a lot of information from an educational perspective, but also credentialing is very important as well to keep up with what's happening and what's changing. Um, I mean, I will tell you, when I first got into this industry, like we said, nearly three decades ago, um, FMLA wasn't a thing then. Um, you know, neither, and the ADA was just barely a thing. So things have evolved. We've got different state components. Um, we've had updates and amendments to both of those. And as a result, what that means is we've got to keep on our toes about those changes and, 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 and things that are occurring out there. But more importantly, it's not just about what the legislation and the, the, the statutes are telling us. What about practices overall? And where can we get more information on what those practices are and what other employers are doing? So benchmarking on plan design or just having conversations. And that's where these conferences and your webinars and things of that nature, not just at DMEC, but just across the industry as a whole, really will help us to keep up with what's happening, what's evolving, things we should consider, and hopefully provide um, all the professionals out there with a, t a, a toolkit that they could use uh, or a set of tools to go back to their organization and 
get the resources or the training or the development that's necessary to keep a prize because this is a big deal. It's going to continue to be a big deal and it's continuing to evolve. And with that evolution becomes more risk. And so we need to ensure that everyone understands that risk. But more importantly, we need to continue to demonstrate care and compassion for those that we serve in this industry because uh, all the all the individuals that come through us, the majority of them, the vast majority of them really are in a situation of dire need. Um, and we need to provide support however we can. And I'm not sure if everyone's aware of our DMEC communities. It's a new way to connect our members and it offers uh, individual and uh, kind of personalized networking uh, within our DMEC platform. And it is a closed community for DMEC members, but um, you know, would allow you to uh, share ideas, ask a question, you know, maybe your boss dropped in and asked a question and you don't really have anybody to go to. You can put, post it on DMEC communities. And we have, I think, around 11 communities and um, it offers, you know, another way for uh, our members to connect with one another and get the information that they need um, from, you know, a peer. Deshauna, what can you what can you provide to us? So Brian is a very hard act to follow <laughs> because every thought that I had came out of his mouth. It was almost like telepathy. Um, but I will add, um, just from an internal perspective, to leverage the strengths, interests, and abilities of those that you work with. Also, view absence management as a holistic. Um, offering. So look at your health and well-being benefits and how they're impacted by the absence landscape. Look to your HR professionals um, to really get a read on what your human capital is in need of and how the absence um, scope can support those initiatives. And then divide and conquer by looking at the absence management landscape in a holistic manner you find ways to leverage others and also um, keep everyone's heads above water by engaging people based on their strengths, interests, and abilities. Yeah, that's so true. That holistic, that holistic piece is is so key um, to to a complete absence management program. What a great conversation! I just wanted to thank you all again for weighing in on this complicated topic. And I think you've all given um, everyone a lot to think about. So thank you so much. And Brian and Deshauna, I want to thank you again for joining us and um, having this um, real conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Terry. We really appreciate the opportunity. And, and I just want to leave with every one of you that are out there listening. We take care of people day in and day out. Be sure you're taking care of yourself.